Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to those here online and in all of our locations. I'm Laura Gilbertson, and I'm so glad to be with you. Um, if we haven't met before, uh, I want to first thank you for the introduction, and then um, just, again, to introduce myself that I have been here at Westwood for quite a while, joined the teaching team about nine years ago when I was serving as pastor of Care Ministries, but my full-time ministry now is as a college professor, um, but I'm really grateful uh, for the the opportunities to be welcomed back as an occasional part of the teaching rotation here, especially when Pastor Joel invites me to share a message on significant subjects like today's topic, which is examining the questions of Job. For the last several weeks, we've been studying the Old Testament wisdom book of Job, which reflects on the universal human experience of pain and suffering. And the book wrestles with questions about God's goodness and how we can trust God in the midst of suffering. And last week, Pastor Joel briefly mentioned, he acknowledged that having faith does not prevent deep questions from rising up. But that is such a big topic. We didn't want to rush too quickly past that reality of doubt and difficult questions without taking time to pause and think more carefully about what that actually looks like and how to consider um, how we can face those challenges in healthy and constructive ways. And so today, we're going to get really honest about doubts and questions in our Christian life. And I want to start by asking you to just do kind of a, a simple, um, silent, internal temperature check related to your own thoughts and feelings that arise just when you hear that phrase, questioning God. When you hear questioning God, what do you feel and what do you think? I'm watching to see if anyone is squirming or running for the door at the moment um, because my guess is that some of us Maybe we're raised in a family or in a religious community that interpreted questions as shameful or as a sign of weakness. And so the idea of questioning God feels very uncomfortable for some. Or I also wonder if some of us um, have maybe are able to think of a time when we went through a very difficult period of questioning, but we're no longer stuck in that, so we feel some relief thinking, oh, I don't want to go back there. Why don't you stop talking now? I'm through it. That's great. Um, so for some, maybe it, it's something that resonates with the past. Some of you might be like me. I'm kind of in my own strange category where when I hear about questions, um, I'm okay. I'm naturally bent towards skepticism, and I critically analyze everything. It is not a great trait for small talk at parties. Uh, I will admit that. But it serves me very well in academia, so I tend to kind of live and dwell in, in questions that don't uh, make me too uncomfortable. But at the same time, I think some this morning might be in the thick of a very difficult place of loss, and you're just worn down. And for you, the questions are not abstract. They're coming from places of visceral pain. And so if that's you or anywhere on that spectrum that I described, I'm so glad that you're here. We're here to be together and encourage one another. And it's good to acknowledge how our unique dispositions and our influences have prepared us to wrestle with difficult questions. So if you're wired like me um, or weird like me, whatever you want to say, um, you may feel comfortable dwelling in those deep questions without clear answers. But my experience is that most folks have a natural resting place that seeks stability 
and certainty, especially in their spiritual life. And so it can be really difficult to lean into this, but I want to just start with this statement today that whether we like them or not, questions and doubts are a natural part of the Christian life. Now, kids tend to be very comfortable with questions. They do not mind asking them. In fact, they often bombard us with questions. They'll ask things like, where will my pet turtle go when it dies? In the same breath that they ask for a snack. It just comes out so quickly, right? So it's the, where is God? And by the way, where is my graham cracker? If you know kids, you know that that's how their minds work. Their questions flow with such ease And I wonder if that's because they expect adults will be able to answer them, right? That we can settle things for them, especially when we're young, we're pretty quickly satisfied with the answers that authority figures give to us. We might think to ourselves or or actually say out loud, you know, my pastor, my parents told me that God exists because the Bible says so, and so problem solved. Great, it all makes sense, I'm good. But as we grow and as we develop further, especially into young adulthood, the answers that were once easily accepted tend to now lead to deeper questions. They raise new ones. And so being told, well, that's because the Bible says so, starts to lead to these other questions like, well, how do I know that I can trust the Bible? And suddenly feelings of epistemic anxiety creep in. Doesn't that sound foreboding? Epistemic anxiety is just a fancy way of saying that we start to wonder if our sources of knowledge can really be trusted. Can any of you identify with that experience, right? I'm not just talking to myself, although if I am, that's okay too. But my guess is that you know that feeling of kind of moving to those deeper, sometimes scary questions. And it's that deeper place of wonder and doubt that we're thinking about today. It's the questions that aren't easily and quickly resolved, and they sometimes lead to a cascading set of other questions. I think adults sometimes hesitate to voice our questions out loud, not because we lack questions, but because we no longer feel comfortable sharing them. We fear that everything might start to unravel if we sit too long with the tough questions. But then there are those times that we just cannot escape them, especially when we're in the midst of pain and suffering. But here is the reassuring news today, that scripture and research by Christians about the Christian life tell us that questions are completely natural and they're actually valuable as a part of deepening our faith. Scripture, in fact, is full of examples and situations where people who we revere for their faith, we look to as as these um, sort of heroes of the faith, they struggle to reconcile evil and suffering with their belief that God is good. And so this morning we're starting with a strong statement that's the title of this sermon, and it is, It's Okay to Question God. And you may never have said that before, so I'm going to ask you to say it with me. It's okay to question God. My hope is that we might embrace the assurance that questions are not a detriment to faith, but that questions help deepen our faith. And so we're going to look at expressions of doubt and frustrations that humans direct toward God in the Bible, because it's powerful to know that the heroes of our faith that are recorded in Scripture, they had questions too. 
It's not just us. We're not alone. And yet there's still a model of faithful life for us. I think that's such a relief to know that we won't be cast out because instead, Scripture, God himself, fulfills this sense of patience, love, and faithfulness to us even when we are lost in our own doubts. And so our goal really is to find constructive and healthy ways to work through our questions because I believe that will actually draw us closer to the Lord. So I'm going to briefly share a few examples this morning of the kinds of questions that we see from Job and from David and then also from Thomas in the New Testament. And we're going to consider what value, what good could possibly come from questions that will help us develop our faith. So if we recall from the past few weeks together, um, we've been learning about Job. And if you recall, Job was having a pretty good life. Things were really good for him. He was prospering in every way. But then Satan comes along with a plan to disrupt Job's trust in God. And so Satan brings uh, disease, loss of loved ones, financial ruin, just utter misery to Job as Satan is trying to prove that Job will only remain faithful to God when life is good. And Job is 42 chapters long. If you've been following along with reading over the last few weeks, you'll know it's mostly chapter after chapter of Job and his friends arguing about how to make sense of his misery. And during those chapters and those arguments, Job throws a lot of really frustrated questions towards God. So for example, in chapter 3, Job says, Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden whom God has hedged in. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Throughout the chapter, Job asks very similar things like this that kind of capture this, this question, why was I born to suffer? Right? Good morning, everyone. Why was I born to suffer? He's asking, what's the point of even God creating life and giving anyone life if it's just going to result in constant misery and we're just going to suffer and die? Later, in chapter 7, Job wonders why so much hardship has hit him specifically. So he, he starts to wrestle with his own role in this. And so in chapter 7, Job says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who have seen everything we do. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? With those words, again, very personal cries, Job is asking, why me? That kind of universal question when we're really hurting, why me? His suffering makes no sense, and Job is trying to figure out why has God targeted him. That section or any of these sections uh, where this question of why me comes up, it reminds me of one night when our daughter Miriam was only about six years old. She was very young, and she was dealing with horrible stomach pain. And you know when you're physically hurting? I mean, you just cry out, right? So she was crying, and she was so uncomfortable. And at one point, she wailed, Why are you punishing me, God? Oh, it just broke my heart. As a mom, I just, I felt so badly that she was suffering that much. And as a theologian, I was wondering, where did that come from? And to think of her picturing God as the source of her pain also broke my heart. And so when she eventually felt better, 
we talked more about her theological statement, you know, once, once she was on the mend. And I said, tell me more about that. What did that mean when you said that? And she said, Mommy, I know God loves me. I just didn't understand why it was hurting so much. And that intense pain that Miriam felt conflicted with her belief that God loves her and she felt out of control and confused at why God didn't just make things better. And I think a lot of us have felt that way at times. Maybe you felt that way. I certainly have. And I think Miriam and Job, they put words to the things that we've felt. And for Job, those frustrations eventually take the form of questioning God's very character. So in chapter 10, I mean, if you thought his words so far were rough, let me introduce you to chapter 10. So in chapter 10, Job just lets it all out. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Wow, did you know that that was in the Bible? It's heavy. And Job is questioning whether God is really good. He feels as though God is smiling on the plans of the wicked. He questions if God is really good or if he's actually entertained by Job's suffering. And so his question in chapter 10 is essentially, does God enjoy watching me suffer? Right? You can imagine that he's almost wondering if God might just be a, a sick but powerful puppet master. And it's a question that I have actually heard from people in the depths of their suffering. And even though it's very heavy, right, this is not the most upbeat message I've ever given, in another sense, it's very liberating to know that scripture acknowledges the emotions surrounding our gut-wrenching pain because it opens the door for us to be honest with God about our own pain. And so we're going to unpack that further, but I just, I want to make sure to offer a couple other examples from scripture. I like to make sure we're really biblically grounded when we're uh, thinking about um, messages here. And so I want to offer two other um, sort of examples outside of Job. And so Psalm 22 uh, is David, a psalm of David, and he's crying out to God in frustration. David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, I find no rest. David feels abandoned. And it looks like those who are trying to bring him harm are actually going to succeed. And so this psalm, like many others, captures his lament to God where he's crying out, why have you forsaken me? And if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus quotes this psalm when he's on the cross. He cries out to the Father, why have you forsaken me as he's in pain on the cross? And so it's this honest, anguished question spoken by Jesus himself, as well as David, who is revered for his faith because they're feeling abandoned in their pain. And I also want to just share with us this example uh, of doubt from Doubting Thomas. That poor guy gets that phrase always attached to his name, Doubting Thomas, because he doesn't quickly believe the reports of the resurrection of Jesus. Other people are telling him about it, but he's not so quick to join in. And so we read in John 20, verse 25, um, that the other disciples say to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. 
But he, he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I totally identify with Thomas. He is my kindred spirit. I feel like we would be, you know, co-captains of the skeptics club if we were in the same era um, because he needs more information. He needs to know and understand if he's going to believe such a shocking claim that a dead man has been raised to life. He isn't just going to rush into this. And so for Thomas, his questions and his doubts caused him to struggle to believe without proof. He's struggling in that lack of information. But rather than being cast out as a person without faith, instead he's not just sort of thrown to the wayside, well, I guess you're not part of the disciple club anymore. Instead, Jesus lovingly came to Thomas and Jesus said this. He says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So you see, Jesus graciously and patiently revealed himself to Thomas despite his doubts. And next week we'll see how God revealed himself to Job in the midst of his questions. And all of these examples that I have shared, they point to the reality that questions and doubts are a natural part of our faith. Scripture affirms this, and we see that God responds with patience and loving care. I think questions and doubts are not a sign of weakness in Scripture, but rather they're a common experience among those who are so committed to God that they aren't going to just give up when things get hard. Right? To be in genuine relationship with God means we're going to have to wrestle with him at times. So I'm going to say that again. To be in genuine relationship with God means we are going to have to wrestle with him at times. Yet scripture affirms that God will stay faithful to us even when we feel lost. So in the time that we have left, I want us to consider what value there might be, what good is there in asking these questions and leaning into these difficult places that will inevitably mark our journey of faith. So although there are likely a number of things, um, I have three that have been really meaningful in my own journey that I want to share with you. So first, I think questions are valuable because they allow us to be honest. Hiding emotions and ignoring hurt fosters resentment. Just think about that for a moment in your own relationships with the people that you care about. That when we hide our emotions, when we ignore the feelings that we're really having, resentment starts to build. Our love cannot flourish unless we're vulnerable and honest. Strong bonds can't be formed if we withhold parts of ourselves. And the same is true in our relationship with God. Hiding our emotions actually does spiritual damage even though often when we are hiding them, we actually think we're trying to be strong. It's the irony of it, right? Years ago, when I was serving as a hospital chaplain in training, um, I've tried lots of things in my life, perhaps you're picking that up. Um, I was serving as a hospital chaplain in training and I encountered an extreme case of spiritual hiding. The charge nurse on the floor that I was um, working on at, at that time, um, she asked me to go and visit a young adult patient 
who had just endured several traumatic medical issues and the patient was refusing food and she would not speak to anyone. So she was in a very rough place. Um, and so they asked me to go in. Uh, I was very young and it was kind of a, an overwhelming um, idea to think, how can I help this, this woman? Um, so when I knocked on the door of the patient, her family member um, greeted me at the door and uh, along with the family member greeting me, I was also greeted by very loud, upbeat Christian music, lots of pictures and like, um, you know, happy sayings on, on pictures all around the walls that they had tacked up. And this family member quickly explained to me that they were a Christian family and everything was great. Uh, the family said, family member said that God was giving total healing and they were full of joy because of God's miracles. But I remember looking over at that young woman in the bed and she was laying in the fetal position with a complete blank stare on her face. And as I stayed in that room, at one point, the family member said to um, the patient, remember, God won't complete the healing if you're sad. And I was also told by the family member, we don't need a chaplain because we are never sad. We are always joyful in the Lord, so thanks for coming, but we're good. And everything just seemed great, right? Except it was not. It was not, clearly not. The denial of honest emotions was tied up in a theological belief that any sign of doubt would bring God's judgment. And really, I think that family member that was saying those words was coping with their own pain and sadness the best way that they could, but it was creating an oppressive environment where no one could honestly cry out to God for help. So I stopped back in to check on the patient later that afternoon because I hadn't really had any meaningful conversation in there, and I found the patient alone. And I sat down, and I waited to see if she might want to talk. And several minutes of silence passed, which, as you know, feels like an eternity. Uh, and I just simply said, after a few minutes of silence, this must be really hard for you. And tears started streaming down her face, and then I started crying. And I could almost start crying right now thinking about it because I remember what an impact it had on my own life because she actually looked me in the eyes for the first time when I said, this must be really hard for you. And I asked her if she was scared, and she nodded yes. And so I sat with her quietly. I didn't say anything else. Sat with her for a long time, and I held her hand but before I left, I remember praying with her, and I remember thanking God in that prayer for the ways that he loves us, even when we're sad, when we're scared, and when we're confused. Suffering, I think, becomes compounded if we believe we must perform happiness in order to win approval from God. Now, if you're a joyful person, that's great. Keep it up. But what I'm talking about is when we're really not feeling okay and we feel like we have to perform happiness or confidence in order to prove that we're a faithful Christian. Please, instead of that, that becomes so oppressive and just exhausting, I encourage us to follow in the steps of biblical lament and be honest with yourself, and I'm saying this to me too, to be honest with myself and to God so that the pressures of denial don't lead to a slow spiritual death. So I think first, the questions help us be honest, and that's life-giving. 
And then second, I think there's value found in the fact that questions reflect our desire to seek truth. If God is the source of all truth, then we don't need to fear the questions because truth will lead us to God. The desire to understand God and to make sense of difficult things, even when we're angry or confused, it's an expression of being committed to truth. And I believe that not only honors God, but it will ultimately lead us to know him more deeply. Speaking personally, in my own wrestling over my decades, wrestling with difficult questions, what I have often uncovered is that I've had false images of God creep in to my own thinking. And that causes so much trouble for me. And so my, my work is peeling away those layers of unhealthy ideas of who God is. And that helps me realign with God. But in the process of that, sometimes it feels like things are unraveling. Things change and it becomes really challenging. But ultimately, I have been drawn closer to the Lord and I seek the God of Scripture and the Holy Spirit that I know. And so I think this process of critically examining our faith inspires us to keep pursuing the one true God. And then third, I think there's value or good that comes from questions and doubt because they move us beyond a shallow agreement toward abiding trust. And I love that word, abiding, this resting, this living, this being in trust. Because when we simply inherit ideas from other people, it leads to a fragile belief system where we become focused on just learning the right things to say and the right things to do. But it's fragile because we aren't drawing from a deep well of authentic relationship with Jesus that has really been through it. You know what I mean by that, right? So unexamined faith, when we don't deal with the questions, the unexamined faith is often guarded by defensiveness and fear. And insecurities often masquerade as religious arrogance. But people of deep faith, the people that I think of as sort of my spiritual mentors, they often describe a process of hitting the wall. If you've ever had some struggles, hitting the wall is like a really great image. Um, They've had this moment of hitting the wall or experienced what some call the dark night of the soul that pushes beyond fragile beliefs into something much more personal and grounded. And so hitting the wall, it might be in a really intense season or it might be a recurring pattern for some. And developmental psychologists and theologians like James Fowler, they've written extensively about how doing this difficult emotional and spiritual um, work of pushing through the wall, it leads to a spiritual maturity that learns to trust and rest in God, even though some questions remain unanswered. That's the reality. Not all of our questions will be answered, but it's the process of learning to trust in spite of that. After Mother Teresa's death, her personal letters were published, and people were really surprised to find that she had spent long stretches of her of her years um, feeling abandoned by God. She wrote very honestly about it in the midst of her ministry to the poor in India. And as I said, the people that I personally know and consider mentors in the Christian faith, they've all experienced something like a dark night of the soul. And what they share in common is that they kept pushing through the questions. Faith is not about securing all the answers. 
Faith is about choosing to stay in relationship with God because God has revealed enough of himself, of his love, that we're willing to trust him with the things that don't yet make sense and may never make sense. I like to say it this way. Faith is not the opposite of questioning. Faith is the act of persevering through doubts. It's that perseverance. It is not all settled, and yet we stay. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just want to leave you with a couple practical ideas that might help in terms of navigating questions in a healthy way. First, when you feel like your confidence in Christianity is faltering, try to identify the real source of your frustration. Are we actually mad at God in the moment? Maybe. Maybe it is God, and we're crying out to God. But it might also be hurt that we're experiencing from people, and we direct it onto God. If we've had painful experiences with with people who claim to be Christians who have hurt us, uh, particularly family members or trusted communities that do violate that trust, then the ability to trust God is often also wounded. I have a number of students, adult students at Bethel, who are coming back to school after challenges in their lives. It may be addiction or they dealt with pregnancy at a young age and they were hurt by Christian communities. They felt rejected and in the process they come into my class saying, I'm atheist. Good luck, right? Um, I'm here but I'm not really here. And I love those students so much because what I find is that as we study theology and as they have a safe space to think about it, most of them end up saying, you know what, I really do believe in God. But I was just hurt and I had to reject it because of my pain. But having that opportunity to identify, you know what, it wasn't God. It was these other hurtful comments or relationships allows them to honestly open up and realize God is there with them and it's going to help them with the forgiveness process. A second way I think that's helpful to answer question or to deal with the questions is to become a non-reactive friend. Someone who doesn't freak out when we hear the questions and to find somebody who can do that for us. It's a very vulnerable thing to share our hearts and to share our questions. And so finding someone who will listen, who will not react backwards uh, to us, but rather sit with us, help us process it, um, that's a gift. And be that person for others, right? If someone shares their questions or their doubts with you, realize that is a sacred moment. Thank God for the opportunity and just reflect God's faithfulness and love to them. And then finally, I encourage us in the midst of questions to practice the biblical practice of lament to guide us when we hit the wall. And remember that lament is a cry to God. Lament is not just venting. It's not gossiping. It's not just sort of going down that, that ugly cycle of just our own dwelling but it's really directed towards God with the expectation that God will bring hope and that we might hear wisdom. So it's raw, it's honest, but it's expectant and it's staying in relationship with God. And so if you've started to withdraw and you feel like you're just going through the motions of Christianity, I just want to encourage you this morning, go to God with whatever is really buried in your heart because he will not reject you. And know that your questions are welcomed here at Westwood. And so as we end, I just want to share a paraphrase from John Calvin. So it's not a quote, but it's a paraphrase that I think is going to capture what we've been trying to, to understand this morning. Our salvation and hope is not secure because of our confidence. Our salvation and hope is secure because of God's assurance. Amen? Will you stand with me as I pray?
Lord, we thank you that our hope is not dependent on our own confident self, but our hope is grounded in your assurance and your faithful love. Even when we're floundering around in our own confusion, you hold on. Lord, you're there when we're hurting and angry and you're waiting to comfort us. And so I pray this morning that you would strengthen those who feel weak and bring hope to those who feel lost. May we develop a deep faith that perseveres in spite of the questions that we have. Thank you for your faithful love. In Jesus' name, amen.